0: Hi and welcome back to the show. Today the tables are turned and I am being interviewed by Liam Martin. Liam is the well-known CEO and co-founder of Time Doctor and of course Time Doctor is the well-known and relatively ubiquitous productivity app in the remote and global employment space. Uh, Liam is quite a thought leader in the remote workspace, the future of employment. He is also the co-founder of Running Remote, which is a conference held annually or biannually. I'm actually attending in April this year, so I'm really looking forward to that. And he is the co-author of the book Running remote, so he really is a thought leader in the space. It's great to have a conversation to Liam about everything BPO. So Liam is really interviewing me, so I get to be let free on my opinions about outsourcing BPOs and things like that. Liam actually, you know, quite uniquely digs into the economics of outsourcing uh, and some of the future prospects for outsourcing. So it's quite a different conversation. I certainly. Um, had a lot of questions that I I didn't normally receive and really enjoyed the conversation. I hope you do too. As always, if you're on any of the show notes, go to OutsourceAccelerator.com slash podcast. Enjoy. This podcast is brought to you by Outsource Accelerator. We are the world's leading outsourcing marketplace and advisory. We help big and small businesses with their outsourcing needs, And we can help you too. We cover everything from offshore business and staffing strategy, optimal outsourcing structures, implementations, and fully managed services. If you are already outsourcing, about to start, or somewhere in between, then we can ensure that you get the best from outsourcing. That's the best prices, best terms, and of course the best results from your offshore operations. The Outsource Accelerator Marketplace now covers over 3,000 outsourcing firms, representing a global workforce of over 5 million people. We also host this leading outsourcing podcast, publish inside Outsourcing, and have over 15,000 pages of content on the site. Because we span the entire market, we can ensure that you get the best deal possible get in touch today visit us at outsourceaccelerator.com slash quote also if you find this podcast interesting or valuable please share it we have now produced hundreds of episodes featuring the outsourcing world's most prominent luminaries Please show your support by sharing this podcast today.
1: Derek, thank you so much for jumping on the podcast with me. I was just chatting with you for about 15 minutes beforehand, and we had a flurry of questions that went back and forth. Um, So I think this is really going to be a fun one. I want to start out with people that don't know you and don't know Outsource Accelerator, what does Outsource Accelerator do?
0: Yeah, Liam, thank you so much, and yeah, it's amazing. Time flies. We've got so much to catch up on, and for such a you know kind of dull industry, there's so much going on actually. So it's great, uh, great to join you. Uh, Outsource Accelerator. We are the outsourcing marketplace. So every major industry, every major sector, whether it's consumer or B two B, has a marketplace. And the outsourcing industry up until now has not. Uh, We've been around about five years and it is our job to really aggregate the disaggregated outsourcing industry. There's around about two and a half thousand, three thousand outsourcing firms globally. uh, And it's our job to aggregate that and allow people to better explore and navigate that industry so that they can um, integrate integrate outsourcing into their business easier and safer
1: wow yeah i I mean i I think outsource accelerator is actually showing that the market has evolved to a certain level where you can have that type of marketplace that sits on top of the industry and you'll probably have a couple competitors in a few years if everything goes right with the bpo industry because it seems to be growing every single year but how did you start that kind of because because i mean it's, it's interesting business model to be able to say hey yeah i'm i'm building basically a marketplace platform on top of the bpo industry how did you end up entering outsource accelerator or starting it
0: yep yeah, my previous business was in hotels and hospitality based in london and our major OTA or platform was Booking.com, and we were a relatively small business and we were paying about mm. 300,000 US per month in commissions to Booking.com. And you know, everyone knows Booking.com, everyone, but only those in the industry really realize the power of these platforms. And you know, if you are looking for a hotel, if you're going to a sort of abstract country, abstract city that you've never been to, you have no way of navigating that hotel market without using a marketplace such as Booking.com. And consumers now are used to marketplaces. They don't really go anywhere without a marketplace, whether it's Uber, whether it's you know a food app, whether it's Yelp, um, whether it's credit cards or mortgages or buying a home, or buying a flight. Everything is done via a marketplace because they aggregate, they simplify, and they build a trust layer. So in my prior business, hmm. we were using, um, we had a Philippine office. Uh, and of course, you know, because of that, I started the office in about 2014. I realized the power of outsourcing, offshoring, Filipino staff, global employment. Uh, and for my next business, I sort of took the power of what I learned, you know, of the power of marketplaces and applied it to outsourcing. And I was just amazed that there is no marketplace representing this outsourcing industry. And just as a snapshot, it's approximately about $250 billion in annual revenues. It's been going 30 years. And it is a highly, highly sophisticated industry. It's not just the Upwork, the freelancers and the sort of VAs that Tim Ferriss has sort of popularized, it is a highly sophisticated industry. um, And we've built the platform to represent that.
1: Well, let's talk about the statistics because I think this is something, I mean, 250 billion, I didn't know that number. And I'd love to to know a couple more. So general statistics on the BPO industry. I see that you're tracking 3,378 firms on Outsource Accelerator. How many people does $250 billion employ globally?
0: Yeah, so what is worth saying about the industry is it's approximately about 10 million people, I would suggest, that it employs. Uh, It is approximately $250 billion in revenues. There are approximately sort of 3,000 companies Uh, And within any distribution, as you'd imagine, there is a sort of fat head with a long tail. Uh, For example, Accenture employs about 750,000 people. Teleperformance employs about sort of 500,000 people. So you've got the big boys up the top, which employ, you know, vast numbers of people. And then you have a very long tail down the bottom. But what is very difficult to really define about the industry is that is the sort of side cases. So for example, a SEO agency or a web dev agency could also be construed as an outsourcing firm. And so, you know, when you blend into sort of agencies, um, also a lot of IT outsourcing could be construed as outsourcing, whereas actually, you know, they're just managing your servers and things like that. So on the sort of, on the peripheries of the industry, it gets quite hard to define, but it is a very broad, um, very broad sort of umbrella of industries and jobs and profiles.
1: In terms of the the niches inside of the BPO industry, uh, and I have a follow-up question to this that I want to ask later, but I'm going to ask kind of a different version right now. Where have you seen the most growth over the last three years in terms of a BPO category? Like, is it more, as you said, a small SEO agency, as an example, that wants to get in there? I've seen a lot of video editing BPOs that have almost kind of like <clears throat> are a hybrid between an agency and... KPO, BPO type of space that have just been popping up everywhere. We've seen a lot of those on the Time Doctor Network. Has there been any particular industry that you've really seen blow up in the last couple of years?
0: Uh, Everything, everything. So the the old boys of the industry, like the grandfathers of the industry is the call center industry. And typically call centers Mm -hmm. cater to enterprise. Now that industry is completely saturated all of big enterprise have been outsourcing for about twenty years, uh, and they are all, um, you know, sort of catered to by the big business. What is a very high growth area is SMEs, SMBs in the West that previously mm-hmm. thought outsourcing was um, unaccessible for them. They're realizing actually that they can tap into the global employment trend as well. So the the very high growth right. market is catering to the SMB market now. There, you could probably split the two supply um, characteristics by generalist outsourcing, which is almost like a staff augmentation or a staff leasing kind of model, versus a specialized vertical mm-hmm. model, which is you know getting a little bit closer to an agency. And in terms of specialized verticals, you know the common ones are anything to do with digital, whether it's web development, SEO. Um, you know, anything like that, uh, graphics and creative. Uh, And then, of course, accounting is very common, very popular, and any sort of uh, uh, skill set, basically. Obviously, sales is very popular, things like that. Um, So there's endless kind of verticals. But then also you have the generalists that can cater to those as well. And also we're seeing rise in popularity now is the PEO and OER, um, which effectively is just staff leasing with a different name mm. so it's very broad
1: right yes no it's a. it's definitely it yeah it's a, it's it's a very expansive <clears throat> business model and and that leads me to my next question here i know that you don't you probably would not bite the hand that feeds you because you're the marketplace so you don't want to actually start one of these things but Let's say you had a crystal ball. Let's say you sold Outsource Accelerator tomorrow. The NDA was pretty sweet, and you got to start your own BPO. If you were going to start your own BPO today, what would you start? And what you know, what kind of BPO would it be? Where would you start it? Um, what kind of industry would you get into? I'd love to hear those details.
0: Mm. I see. I see pros and cons with with each business model. Um, First of all let's look at the two business models. One of them is what's referred to as transparent pricing okay and typically the salary mm-hmm. and the on the overhead costs are sent through as as um, pass-through costs and then the margin that the BPO gets really goes towards a service fee whether or not you then provide office space and hardware with that. So, that is referred to as transparent pricing. That is really a high volume, low margin game. Okay. On the other side mm-hmm. of things, you have the verticals where they are more like agencies and they are providing solutions as opposed to staffing. And typically, those solutions are based on value attribution, not on the cost. Okay. So, those industries will try to add more margin. And where you know they say where there's mystery, there's margin. So they will have an all-in price, and you won't necessarily know what proportion of that is going to the individual workers versus what is going to the agency or the BPO. I now obviously everyone would go well, you know, of course I want to go for the higher margin um, business, but that isn't all that clear. You know, you see as the as industries mature, as offshore staffing matures, most people realize that they can go and do it themselves. And so often, you know, they might start with a high margin supplier, but then they realize that there's dozens of suppliers doing it at a cost plus model. They can save significant amounts of money, and then that is typically where they will build their bigger long term teams. So, you know, I see one as higher volume, lower margin, and one as lower volume, higher margin. Um, And, you know, it's almost sort of a question of religion as to which you prefer. Um, I Okay, so gun to your head. Well, okay, so, you know, we're going to talk later on about the future of things. I believe in 20 or 30 years Mm -hmm. that global employment will become the default norm as opposed to localized employment. That is what we're all heading to. And 20 Mm -hmm. years ago, it was almost impossible to do that without an intermediary. And so the BPOs were the gatekeepers Mm -hmm. of this industry. When it was very hard to do 20 years ago, they could demand high margins. Now that it's pretty easy to do direct... You know and we all know how easy it is you can go on upwork you can pay people through paypal um, there yep. is less friction and so there is less need for intermediaries now if you fast forward 20 years again i believe it will just become ubiquitous and the norm and so the need for intermediaries will almost be eradicated and so you get this disintermediation mm. as the industry matures so I believe that, you know, if there is still an outsourcing industry, it will be a very small margin that they will charge in order to provide their employment layer, kind of like a PEO. Um, Whereas if you, you know, because you will become disintermediated. And then the other option is if you are adding value, then of course there is always a need for that. Um, So, you know, if you can add margin because you're adding value to a process, then you can do that, but you know there's pros and cons. <laughs> if uh, if I can stay on the fence about that.
1: And in terms of, yeah, well, yeah, you're 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 very diplomatic. Uh, but yeah. which location would you start in? That's the next one. You know, you've got India, you've got you've got Eastern Europe, Africa is exploding right now as a new industry, and then you've also got Southeast Asia with the Philippines being the absolute. Uh, nucleus of that Mm. where would you start your bpo today if you were going to start one
0: Ah, so today most definitely philippines just as background i have been living in the philippines for about nine years now uh it certainly wasn't planned but it has happened i really enjoy the place uh and it is an incredibly sophisticated country with incredible sort of executive talent um the the downside to and so the philippines is has is I refer to the Swiss banking of outsourcing. It is not the biggest, but it is the highest quality and it is the most reliable. Um, Hmm. uh, India, of course, is about three or four times bigger. The industry, it's very established, very mature. But I personally would suggest that there's quite a lot of friction in in sort of dealing um, with India. Uh, That's just sort of personal preference. But so I see the Philippines, they are not the best developers. They are not the best sort of Mathematicians, scientists, they are very good in creative, in communications. So they have their pros and cons. Um, I would suggest if you are building a generalist team, you know, like an organization generally represents a lot of different roles, a lot of different functions, then the Philippines Mm -hmm. is perfect for that generalist application. If you need 5, 10, 20 developers, also the Philippines is very good. If you were to build a team of 500 developers, then I would suggest maybe you specialize, take that to Eastern Europe or India, and think you know you can kind of specialize and have a buffet of where you go for specific tasks. Um, I, there's a lot of countries, we mm-hmm. regularly have conversations with new countries that want to enter this outsourcing race, um, namely Uzbekistan, uh, Jordan, uh, Fiji, uh, Ethiopia, Kenya, um, you know there are a lot of people that see the wealth that outsourcing has brought to these emerging economies and of course they want to get on the bandwagon but i think that while there's relatively low barriers to entry you can't understate the the 30 years head start that the philippines and india has had and the benefits that that's had in terms of just sort of multi-generational understanding of what it's like to work Remotely, what it's worked to like, what it's like to work with an international crowd, um, and mm-hmm. and just building that executive professionalized talent. And thankfully, uh, the Philippines has a great head start on that. But it cannot rest on its laurels, and it needs to continually upskill significantly as well. The downside to that popularity is, of course, raising the salaries, uh, salary inflation. Um, But, you know, thankfully, there's a very big, very young population and nearly about one million graduates every year. So I think that that sort of pressure will remain low for some time.
1: Mm. Yeah, I, I would say to me, the Philippines is undoubtedly the best front office location on planet Earth. You have an English speaking population that is very loyal, hardworking. The ethos of the Philippines is, I work with an employer for an extended amount of time, as opposed to other countries like India, where you don't have that same type of ethos. And I agree with you, if I was hiring a lot of engineers, I would probably go with Eastern Europe. One of the markets that I'm very interested in is Africa. And I feel that in the next five years, we're going to be able to open up Africa. Africa is the last continent to really get wired up for the internet or in, in, in the new case, get uh, SpaceX satellite internet access. What do you think about Africa? And I'm, I'm using Africa as like a, you know an overall turn. Obviously, we're not talking about uh, Egypt, which is quite much more evolved in South Africa, which is much more evolved. I'm talking about like the middle of Africa. What's your perspective on that industry evolving? Do you see any of that type of activity from Outsource Accelerator?
0: Yeah, we're seeing a lot of interest. Um, specifically, you know, I've had conversations with Kenya and Ethiopia. Um, the I know that the IMF uh, is getting involved in those countries. You know, I think these sort of major institutions are seeing that the Beth well, you know, because this is the thing. This is what we are selling here, I think, is is the opportunity and potential of global employment. You know, that, that's generally what we're selling here. And these countries are realizing that they have very delicate, very sort of new, young, undeveloped domestic economies. And the best way for those economies to strengthen and to get job opportunity and to get economic prosperity coming into the country is by kind of hacking into and servicing the very strong international uh, and U.S. economies. And, you know, these these Mm -hmm. 10 years ago, it was not possible. Potentially even five years ago, in these countries with bad sort of internet infrastructure, it absolutely was not possible. Whereas now, you know, as you say, with Starlink and just generally sort of better internet, anyone can hop online And if they have the capability, if they have the qualifications, then they can go and get a job on Wall Street or in Silicon Valley, um, you know, getting a remote employment. And so the barriers are coming crashing down. And these countries are realizing if they can just get their talent, they have no opportunities domestically to tap into the global market it is a huge, huge opportunity. And it would just fast track them from, you know, absolute sort of stagnation, because economies are very difficult things to get going, to they could just tap into the world economy and everyone could be employed. It's it's such a compelling argument. And so it's no wonder then that all of these countries are just clamoring to get on this international employment. One of the difficulties, of course, is to ensure that the infrastructure is there. But as you say, that is getting easier and easier. And then the second one, of course, is to ensure that uh, language and education levels are, are good. Um, but I really do believe that it's, it's kind of chicken and egg. When you have the demand, then there will be more people getting properly educated and then using their skills and upskilling. So it very quickly sort of creates a positive feedback mechanism where people get better quicker.
1: Mm, Yeah, no, absolutely. I've seen Mauritius be a fantastic model for that, which has been doing great numbers front office wise, and particularly in servicing the European market, because it's on approximately the same time zone. They have a large French speaking population. And then they also have a very large minority of English speaking citizens as well. And the cost savings are just there, but because Mauritius is a island on its own, it's got pretty good infrastructure and they've really kind of thought about it in a, in a really cool way. Uh, I want to go back to the margin discussion. So this is a question that I've always had with regards to the BPO industry. What do you think is a reasonable margin? Like, let's say you're starting your BPO right now. You know nothing about it. You're really excited about starting a BPO and you want to start one this year. <clears throat> let's say you're a Canadian like me and you want to invest, let's say half a million dollars into building a front office BPO in the Philippines. And uh, I will actually choose the, uh, I will not choose the agency model, I will choose the razor blade model, the the model where we're basically running a seat lease. Mm. What's a reasonable margin to be able to operate your BPO off of?
0: Yeah, so look, it comes back to this whole disintermediation and then also the specialization thing. People are are offended when intermediaries like BPOs make money off people in the emerging market. And I'm just like, you guys are not on planet Earth unfortunately, you know, in capitalistic society, everyone makes money off everyone else. But generally, it is mutually beneficial, (laughs) okay, unless there's slavery or coercion, it is mutually beneficial. Now, what people overlook is if you're sitting in New York, and then you go and use a New York management consultancy, law firm, or accounting firm, you will have those staff working on whatever X amount, and they will typically be charged out at 3X that amount. That is a very sort of standard industry metric. People will be charged out at 3X. Now, you know, it is normal in New York, but if that happens, if people make money off the back of people in the Philippines, then people say it's exploitation or, you know, it's unconscionable, but it's just the reality. Now, if you look at BPO margins... Uh, it is nowhere near that 3x, it might be 1.2, it might be 1.3, but it is nowhere near 3x, okay? If you look at the the margins on BPOs, let's use very simple numbers, and I'm sorry to sort of do the public math, but, you know, if the person's salary is $1,000 per month, um, you then have about uh-huh. 25%, which goes to government contributions. So that's 1,250, uh-huh. which goes to either the, the the staff member, the government taxes, the healthcare, things like that. None of that goes to the outsourcing firm. Okay, they are pass-through costs. Uh-huh. Then there is typically a facility or service fee um, that goes to the outsourcing firm that would range between about 500 US per month and $1,000 US per month, okay? Um, Out of those costs, that is assuming that they are office-based staff. And that model then really works very similar to WeWork. I call it like a WeWork on steroids in that you get (laughs) dedicated desk, um, you get all of the environment, you get a warm, happy, healthy environment, you get all of the infrastructure, internet, Uh, IT support and things like that. On top of that, you also get all of the hardware, typically dual screen monitors, um, dedicated desk. And also on top of that, you get the employment layer, which means the full compliance um, and all of the payroll, all of the invoicing, all of that management and all of the welfare of the staff members. And then on top of that as well, you get the account management, which is the sort of what I refer to as co-parenting between the client, the staff and the BPO. Uh, so, you know, when you add all of that, typically outsourcing fees can be somewhere, you know, six, seven, eight hundred $800 per month. Uh, and when you take mm-hmm. in all of those hard costs, then maybe out of that margin, out of the sort of, let's say, $800 per month, there is about a 20 to 30% margin on that Okay. So okay. if you actually add in the total costs, you're looking at, you know, about two hundred dollars on about a two thousand dollar cost. So, you know, it's very, very reasonable. Very um, reasonable. What I think you find is that entrepreneurs, they come along and they go, Oh my God, I can do this myself. Why do I need to pay you guys and give you unnecessary profit? And so they go out and do it themselves and they kind of either string it together with a piece of sellotape and it's not very good or they get disappointed or, you know, they can't find the staff they want um, or they end up spending significantly more than what they would to have this white glove concierge service. So often, you know, the sort of enthusiastic enthusiastic entrepreneur can sometimes cut their nose off to spite their face sometimes.
1: How often do you see someone that, I mean, so if you came to me and you said, listen, I'm going to charge you a 10% margin to be able to hire staff. For me, that's a very reasonable margin. And I would say, I will scale with you to probably 500 staff in terms of, let's say a customer support or success role, or maybe even a sales role before I would end up using I went and ended up setting up my own shop because fundamentally, it's just there's a cost there that I don't want to necessarily have to pay to be able to move quickly because it's not my problem that the BPO can't hire staff. Their job is to be able to hire the staff and make sure that my process is run effectively. And a 10% margin seems very, very reasonable. For the people that go out and try to do it on their own, um, do they not understand this 10% margin? Is it something that they're just saying, hey, this is, no, I absolutely don't wanna pay that 10% and I wanna be able to go out and do it on my own because it seems to me pretty ridiculous to be able to run a model like that, particularly if you're a large company and not take advantage of effectively a margin that's lower than anything that you would hire directly on Fiverr or Upwork. I mean, even on Fiverr, the margin is 25% in comparison. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, and
0: the problem is, Liam, it's complicated in that there's no one-size-fits-all. Now, that model that I've just explained to you, that was for the typical $1,000 employee. Um, with The thing with transparent pricing is the seat price is fixed, just like in WeWork in New York. You know, you can have someone, a banker earning $100,000 a month in that seat, and you can have an entry level clerk earning i don't know you know 500 bucks a month in that seat right. and the seat cost is the same and the margin that we work would make from that is also the same and that applies to outsourcing as well in that you know you could have an entry level graduate on $300 a month and you pay the same seat or service fee to that BPO And then you can have a senior executive in the Philippines earning $5,000 a month, and you pay that same seat fee. So, you know, if you have a senior executive, then actually that margin that you pay to the BPO is infinitesimal, Um, and it's just sort of, unfortunately, it's kind of, the model's a little bit complex and it's not obvious, but when you build a team, it really becomes very valuable because if I just say to you, look, I'm gonna charge you 15% flat, and then that's easy, It just doesn't seem to be fair if you hire a lot of high-end developers or executives that end up costing a lot of money because they're not any more to manage necessarily. So you know no model is perfect but what it means is it just requires um, sort of looking into the model and and breaking it apart but certainly you know transparent pricing is um, more fair and you know when you have transparency and visibility it It means that there is less margin um, because the margins are exposed, you know. So, yeah.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that feeds into my next question. Um, I go to the... Well, I used to go to the Philippines quite a bit. I used to spend about three months in the Philippines per year doing sales for Time Doctor until uh, I had people that did that for me and I and I still actually wanna go back. I haven't been there I think since 2018, which no is really thing. quite a shame. The last the last time that I was in the Philippines, I was in Baracay, uh for one of our company retreats. So I do definitely wanna be able to go back. But at that point, 2016, 2017, I remember, and I remember this very clearly because uh, me and a guy that had started his own BPO, by the name of Bryce, Bryce Maddock. He, uh, we started Time Doctor and his company at exactly the same time. And I remember he just blew up into the space. And I remember walking into his office in 2016, 2017, and it was just this massive facility. He was in the fort, you know, a beautiful, beautiful facility. And I just thought to myself, oh man, maybe I chose the wrong business. Um, and Bryce is definitely one of those people that I would say Blew up into the BPO scene. Who are some recent movers and shakers, and they can be individuals or they can be companies. It's totally up to you that you've seen rise through the ranks of the BPO industry. You know, getting close to that, Sykes, Teleperformance, um, those types of level of companies.
0: Yeah, interesting. Good, good question. So, um, Bryce, as you mentioned. Founded Task Us. They are a strange combination of look, fundamentally, outsourcing has historically been seen as a very traditional brick and mortar business with sort of unscalable properties. The outsourcing industry, you're dealing with people, mm-hmm. which is the antithesis of the Silicon Valley sort of thesis of, you know, try and get the most productivity per person and that's your ideal business. So, it hasn't ever sat well with high valuations or the Silicon Valley model. It has always been seen as a traditional business, certainly the call centers. But now as we get into the sort of future of employment and global employment, people are starting to realize that this concept of global employment is kind of modern and advanced and techie and kind of future of employment. So it's starting to get recognized with higher valuations and higher sort of potential. Now, Task Us is an interesting test case in that they are basically, you know, I don't want to talk down on that. They have done incredible, but they are basically a traditional call center. um, And they handle Uh sort of, you know, Facebook and Uber and things like that. But they're effectively doing content moderation and call center functions for those businesses. Now, where Bryce did it slightly differently, is that he wove a fantastic narrative about them being future of employment. And I see it quite similar to the way that we work. you know, wove this narrative about it being a new way of working. And there's always been Regis. There's always been, um, you know, office leasing companies. And they sort of wove a new narrative around it and got massive valuations as a result. It also, you see that with the PEOs like Remote and Deal. There's been manpower group that does, you know, staff leasing and POE um, employer record for 50 years. You know, so it, I believe there's a lot of value in, in the narrative. Now, they did a fantastic job in executing and in getting the clients that were up and coming in Silicon Valley into their books. And then, of course, they have great logos. And then, of course, um, you know, they, they get more. Um so it's they did incredibly well but their business model is far from uh, new or unique they just executed really well and what i think they did as well is that they took the sort of silicon valley model of of raising more capital and deploying it well and then getting big valuations and IPOing and taking that trajectory now in terms of the general industry you have monsters of industry um, you know, like I mentioned, like Accenture's got about seven hundred and fifty thousand people, and Teleperformance four hundred thousand. Um, there are a lot of players in the sort of what I would suggest mid-level. Uh, you know, it's like KMC; they're a bit of a sort of generalist. They do a lot of office space. You've got a um, MapTo, you've got CloudStaff, um, you've got Support Ninja. You know, and all of these are kind of there's HGS. That are doing a lot of acquisitions. There's also Probe Group that, um, you know, acquired like Microsourcing and Beepo and are meant to be doing a bit of a roll-up, but mm-hmm. they've gone quiet now. They've got backing with KKR. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you have a number of companies. They might all be sitting around the sort of, you know, three 4,000 mark up to kind of 10,000 staff mark, uh, which sounds big for most other businesses, but actually, you know, it, it's kind of like a mid-scale business only. Um, but
1: and this, it's a margin business these,
0: fundamentally as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And all of these businesses, they're kind of, um, they are growing at a whopping pace, you know, kind of like 20, 30, 40% sort of thing year on year, but they're just quiet and they're not making waves. And you know they'll they'll sort of progress up to you know fifty, a hundred, two hundred thousand staff, um, but it's just kind of quietly done, making waves, doing it profitably, not really sort of raising money. Um, there's also a lot of PE. There's also you know a lot of interest from PE in the space, trying to buy up, trying to do roll up. So you know watch the space. Like it's going to be very busy over the coming weeks, uh, the coming years. You
1: know. Yeah, I want to get back to the conglomeration side, because I think that's an important question to ask too. But I completely agree with you. Bryce was able to bring in, he was able to make BPOs cool. And particularly people in the tech, the tech industry, which I knew very well, I remember people would come and ask me, hey, Liam, what? BPO should I work with? I've had about five or six of those conversations with their now hundred million, billion dollar, multi-billion dollar tech startups. And they said, hey, we're looking at these five or six different BPOs. You know, what do you think? Because you've been in the Philippines, you understand this industry, all this kind of stuff. And Task Us was always on that list. And they just understood their niche very, very well, which is we service tech startups, and we execute on that incredibly well. And I think that actually that's a huge lesson for a lot of the other BPOs to be able to say, get uncomfortably specific about who you serve and who you don't serve, because they made a perfect fit for that type of industry, making it palatable for them to be able to jump into that space. And uh, it's obviously done. I mean, I think uh, I think they are number seventeen on your OA five hundred list. Task us. So. Yeah. Now they've done very incredible. successful done business incredible. model.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, and where yeah. you know, when
0: industries mature, actually there is very little dis- um, uh, differentiation, and um, they become commoditized. And then the only differentiator really is brand, and you know that culture. And so they've done that incredibly well in terms of their unique identity, their unique culture, because um, a lot of these services, they do become commoditized. So they've really honed in on that and and they're getting this sort of valuation uplift as a result,
1: they've done
0: Mm incredible. yeah.
1: So let's jump into the the PE stuff and the roll-ups because I feel this is something that, at least to me, when I was in the Philippines, we're talking 2014 to 2017, I didn't quite feel the same level of activity in terms of just the conglomerization of the market that are currently seeing today. And I know a lot of people that are BPO founders. I mean, that's a, that's a huge target for everybody, right? It's like, yeah, you can run one type of business where maybe you're pulling 10, 15% margin in terms of EBITDA off the top of your books, and you've got a really great sustainable business. But you really want to be able to get to that that acquisition point where you can walk away and you know you can uh, I remember Philip actually from microsourcing who I believe is completely out of the BPO industry at this yes, point yeah. because he sold his business uh, another another customer of ours and uh, <laughs> just kind of getting to that exit point is probably the dream for a lot of BPO founders. so could you speak to a little bit about that? what type of valuations are you seeing, what type of multiples are you seeing, how are BPOs valued, because I would personally very much like to know.
0: Yeah we are seeing, it's, it's a very healthy market at the moment, there's a lot of interest. I have had you know phone calls with five to ten PEs in the last kind of six weeks Um, There's a lot of people sniffing around, wanting to do roll-ups. Most of them don't really understand the industry. They've just heard that it's hot and they want to try and learn the industry. Um, So I think it will continue to get increasingly heated. We've seen valuations go up and up now. Most of these things are all private deals, so you get very scant details on actually any results. But, you know, kind of 8 to 12 to 15 times EBITDA is now not ridiculous. Uh, it is always a sort of, okay. you know, you're still talking traditional methods of valuation. You're not talking kind of tech um, multiples of revenue kind of thing, but very, very healthy kind of multiples of EBITDA for for what is a traditional kind of industry. You know, you've also got to realize that it's a, it's a unique industry in that it's got one foot in an emerging market and one foot in the developed markets, you know, because it services the West and its supply bases in uh, developing economies. With that comes greater risk, you know, um, these economies are not as developed, not as safe, not as secure. Um, so they are considered a sort of higher risk investment. So I'm surprised actually they do sort of get the, the valuations and multiples that they do do. Um, but. Yeah, it's, it's very, very healthy at the moment. There's a lot of people, a lot, a lot of people trying to do roll-ups. Um, all these PEs are coming in trying to do roll-ups. I question the value of doing roll-ups unless you get this sort of massive accretive uplift by selling a far bigger company, um, you know, which obviously is the plan. Typically, outsourcing firms, they have their client book. And people are now, you know, if you do the numbers, if you are looking at paying, let's say, you know, 10 to 12 times EBITDA, that is 20 to maybe even $30,000 per seat that you are paying. Okay. (laughs) And when you, when you look at it like that, that is a huge amount of money. And, you know, Liam, if you said to me, you know, just let's go and Build a hundred seats instead and save that three million bucks. You know, if you if you gave me thirty grand per seat to add, I'd be like, okay, I'll do it for three grand a seat. You know, so I, I right. kind of question the value in growth through acquisition because I think that there are cheaper opportunities out there to grow organically, or you know, of course, using like our platform, for example. But um, it's very, hmm. very, very popular at the moment, very hot, uh, and people are paying good prices.
1: Is there any, uh, does revenue impact your multiple at all, or is it simply just EBITDA?
0: Yeah, you know, and it's all an art, like, you know, I'd suggest, of course, growth, um, your trajectory, you know, are you fast growing? Do you have sort of a secret thing what is your vertical? Are there any sort of, you know, specific things? Um, And are there then synergies to the buyer? Either, you know, is it the same as what they do? Or is it adding a new aspect to their business that they can sort of grow? Uh, So all of those factors play out. um, But I think that like anything, you want to have something a little bit special that isn't just run-of-the-mill. What I think as well is critical is that You know, a lot of BPOs can get to about five hundred to a thousand staff, but they don't have any sort of backbone. They don't have any infrastructure. They don't really have any executive team and they don't really have any repeatable means of growth. And so, you know, you're actually just literally buying their clients. And I think that has a very limited value if you're just buying those clients.
1: Especially at twenty to thirty thousand dollars per seat, that seems kind of ridiculous. Um, that actually asks, I, I wanna ask another question connected to that as a follow-up. These 500 to 1,000 seat BPOs, and I see a lot of them, what is stopping them from getting to a 10,000 seat BPO? Like you you mentioned the executive team, you you mentioned the kind of repeatable process. Is there anything else that, that connects to that? Because I think a lot of people, are probably stuck. I mean, I know a lot of people that are Time Doctor clients uh, that I talk to on a regular basis. They're sitting around that 500 seat level and they're they're coming to me and they're saying, how do we get to the 5,000 seat level? And to be honest with you, it's, it's a very, very complicated answer, but the ones that do seem to be able to do it have a certain, I think there's definitely a brand cachet. I think there's getting uncomfortably specific about a particular niche and executing on that and actually saying no to a bunch of customers that you could just bring on, but they're not—they're not the exact match, and therefore will not. They'll basically churn out your business relatively quickly. Is there anything else that you see as a trend happening with those people that are able to get from five hundred to five thousand?
0: Yeah, I think look, five hundred to a thousand seats. It's—it's it's, look, it's a great size, but it's not much bigger than a lifestyle business. It's not much bigger than a mom and mm-hmm. pop in the U.S. And, you know, in the U.S. as well, a lot of people get to that mom and pop stage and then to break through that next level, you have to take on increasingly more risk and you have to invest a lot of money and you actually then risk the golden egg that you're sitting on. Uh, And a lot of the mom and pops are, they're risk averse because they're getting a good salary at that point and they don't want to risk it all to go to the next level. Now. To go to the next level, you know, and what the, you know, I'm always sort of a little bit frustrated with the industry because they treat it like the mom and pop industry of the U.S. They're very conservative, um, you know, and whereas if you took a little bit of a lesson from Silicon Valley, only a little bit because we don't want to go crazy, but you need to spend to grow. You need to invest in your future. Sometimes you have to go a little bit cash flow negative in order to go that next step, you know? And um, people find it, it is enormously difficult and enormously expensive to sell and to grow. Um, and, but that has to become, and so they try it, they can't get an ROI and then they pull back and then they almost get sort of forced into this stasis because they're just like, well, I tried that once. I didn't get an ROI, so I'm done. You know, and it's like, well, that's fine then. You know, that that's fine. There's no judgment here, but it it is enormously expensive. And... When you spend to grow, it is like going to the gym and building muscles. The first time you try it, it is not easy and you're weak. But if you carry on, you get better, you get more efficient, and it becomes then an operational process that you can refine. Um, But unless you go down that road and persist at it, then you don't get good at it. One thing I will also note as well, most people, and you have probably met a lot of these people, Liam, most people get into outsourcing because they tried it. It is life-changing. And then they go, oh, my God, I'm going to set up a BPO because I'm now part of that new religion where it is the right. most life-changing thing in the world. And, and it is. And people that get it, they get it. But then they try and sell it to other people, and it is impossible to sell because the other people, they go you know, what are you talking about? This is exploitation. I only work with Americans. I, you know, I would never go overseas. And it is enormously difficult to sell. And they never, ever envisaged the level of resistance to people just giving this a go. And it is, it's surprisingly difficult to sell Mm. outsourcing. Surprisingly difficult. And so people sort of are, they kind of butt up against these resistances. But, you know, it's... um, Yeah, it's good if you get there. I I suggest that people should push through. We have a lot of clients and they push through, you know. Um, The the gold is at the end of the rainbow if you want to get there for sure.
1: Build the muscle. Just go at it. Make the investment. Focus on the fundamentals. And then just don't make sure that you're actually going to follow through. Because I think you're right. There are so many sales campaigns that start and people abandon them before they actually give them a fair shake. And particularly in the BPO industry, I mean, you're, you're handing over your talent, right? This is talent management at the end of the day. This is one of the most precious resources. This is the most precious resource inside of your company. So you have to develop a lot of trust with those clients. And I think that that's the thing that uh, a lot of these companies do is they act like the 19 year old guy that's just gonna try to close the deal on the first date. Doesn't really work that way. You've gotta be able to interact with that brand. You've gotta be able to interact with those people at multiple points. And maybe I don't sell them today and that's fine because I'm gonna sell them tomorrow. I'm gonna sell them six months from now. And it's just building that relationship and making sure that uh, you're helpful. And doing that at scale is a difficult process, but if you can do it, you can build, um, you can build a Taskus, you can build a Convergis, you can build a all of these companies that that are inside mm. of the uh, of the OA five hundred.
0: I want. That's another thing as well. It's it, it's scaling beyond, beyond a bit of a the founder. Selling, sorry, sorry, I'll just add that. But it's scaling beyond the founder can sell, but then can you scale it beyond the founder doing their own selling? You know, and again, these are just Mm. all these little friction points to making it really hard. Um, Anyway, sorry, I interrupted you.
1: No, you're you're absolutely right. There's this, uh, at least in the tech industry, there's this concept called founder magic selling. So whenever the founder sells, well, they can change the application in the SaaS world whenever they want. Right, which is the world that I'm coming from. So I can adapt the product to the client if I want to. I can change out a feature. I can have a feature be pushed to be able to be built out. But when you're actually building a sales team, there is no more founder magic because they don't know the product as well as the founder because the founder built it. They don't know. They can't change anything fundamentally. They only can sell what they've been given. So of course, the sales numbers and conversion numbers go down. But the reality is that if you actually ever want to be able to build in the tech industry a 10 million hundred million billion dollar company you must graduate into that sales team and that is a black hole where a lot of tech startups go to die because they can't get past that founder magic and the founder always thinks that they're a better salesperson they're not a better salesperson, they just break the rules. (laughs) They're just allowed to be able to give, they're able to create a feature out of thin air and deliver it to the client when in reality, the vast majority of salespeople can't do that. Um, I do wanna take a little bit of a side direction in the last couple minutes that we have, which is, I wanna talk about what's gonna happen in the next three years with the BPO industry because I have heard Um, like Chicken Little, the sky is falling. We've heard ChatGPT, we've heard about artificial intelligence and automation. We have been hearing about this, by the way, for like 10 years. Uh, Ever since I've been in the industry, I've been hearing about how automation is going to completely replace the BPO industry. And this has been something that's been kind of in the ethos for a long time. I would say, however, and we're recording this um, in April of, 2023. ChatGPT4 just came out a couple weeks ago. It is fantastic. It is definitely a huge jump forward in terms of artificial intelligence. But I'd love to be able to hear how you believe uh, AI will adapt towards the BPO industry. Someone gave me a really good quote on this, which I think is fantastic. AI will not replace your job. Someone using AI will replace your job. And I think that this is this is probably what's going to happen with the BPO industry. But I'd love to hear your thoughts.
0: Yeah, it's very complicated. Um, I will, as a preface to this, I would prefer to say. I don't think that the outsourcing industry will be affected any differently to any other industry or employment and so i'd like to think of this as a sort of a universal question of employment and you know as you know it's been spoken about a lot that with ai and robotic and automation you're going to see a lot of the driving jobs in the us go you're going to see a lot of the shop teller clerk jobs going, the bank tellers, you know, all of the retailer going. Mm-hmm. So this will be mm-hmm. a universal thing that affects all of employment generally. Now, within the outsourcing industry, as I mentioned before, it is a huge umbrella for every kind of employment. It really is sort of represents employment um, outright. So the high repetition jobs will be under threat. But there's also a hell of a lot of high repetition jobs in the US that will also be under threat. Um, now outsourcing, I believe, is well it is already, but it will continue to progress to the higher value KPO sort of roles and also the staff augmentation roles. They are far more um, safe from the threats of AI, but you know, we're seeing with AI, it's threatening developer roles, it's threatening any creative role. Uh, It it really Mm -hmm. is threatening every role. So I I suppose in short, I think it will have an impact on jobs. I have no idea how it will have an impact, um, but I also believe it will impact the outsourcing industry at the same rate as it impacts global employment generally. And so it will become a universal issue that we all have to sort of face. I, I will then say, you know, in terms of the end point, if there's singularity, if there is any kind of, um, you know, general super intelligence, then the whole sort of game is called off because any sort of, we go post economic, no one would ever need to work again. We've solved cancer, we've solved gravity, energy, you know, and so if it goes that far, then, you know, who knows? We, we, Sort of jobs and who's going to do your accounting work on zero is no longer sort of the 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 topic, um, but it's crazy. You know, it, it seems to be advancing pretty mm. fast over the last uh, couple of years. Yeah, crazy.
1: Do you what do you do see it threatening? Uh, on, I I definitely yeah. see it threatening us, and and I, I see it actually. So, I I've heard the chatter from our clients, a lot of them being BPOs, saying, how are you going to augment our staff so that our staff can actually move forward with artificial intelligence? And we're doing a lot of things in the company to be able to try to augment that, but I would say the real moment that everything is going to flip over is once we've got an AGI, an artificial and general intelligence, and Sam Altman, who is the CEO of ChatGPT, has an excellent definition of what an AGI is. It is an artificial intelligence that is the averagely intelligent human being in your company. And I think that this is a really good measure to be able to identify, because right now ChatGPT is nowhere close to the averagely intelligent human being inside of the company. They, the AI cannot actually make its own decisions, right? We have to be able to navigate it. We, we are the maestro behind the background. Someone told me something quite insightful with regards to AI and ChatGPT, which is knowledge is now almost useless, but wisdom is going to be incredibly important so how we deploy how we ask the question is really going to be where the value is drawn from and whenever you think about a global economy it is well how can i ask that question as cost effectively as humanly possible if anything chat gpt will actually expand the BPO industry, because you'll probably have more prompt engineers, people that are asking these insightful questions to be able to get the right data back. So that's my that's my call on it. I don't know if you think that, uh, I'd love to be able to hear your thoughts on the AGI kind of discussion and, and where you think we're gonna go, because if that happens, um, I agree with you, it's gonna be kind of like an end game for humanity.
0: Yeah, like, you know, Adam Smith, is it the economist like he he suggested by about 1900 you know with with gains in efficiencies we would never have to work again and you know we have added incredible efficiency gains over the last sort of 2 or 300 years so that it's many um Mo- uh, multiples higher than what we did as individual humans before, but we're still at record low unemployment. We're still all working 60 hour weeks if we have ambitions, um, you know, so it never goes away. So I wonder if there is AGI or some sort of, you know, are we all just going to become the best friggin' baristas we can ever be or sommeliers or, <laughs> you know, people playing chess? Is it, is it just going to go into a realm of you know, are we, are we just going to sort of polish sports cars until they're the most polished they can ever be? You know, will, it, will we just find stuff to busy ourselves and then as well have a sort of hierarchical, because I think it's really critical. You know, if, if all of money goes away, like if we can just get everything we want, then what happens to the hierarchy? You know, we need sort of a hierarchy. Who's got the shiniest car or who can make the best coffee? So maybe it will just go into sort of, Um, vocational pursuits I I have no idea or you know I I assume we're always going to be thrilled by music and arts and I don't know like TikTok kind of stunts you know so will we all just kind of focus on that and get the get the cachet that way Um, but it's crazy it could you know it could be an absolute game changer if there is this if there is this sort of step change in intelligence yeah crazy
1: my uh, my focus right now is to be able to diverse my risk out of tech startups and turn myself into an OnlyFans TikTok star. So uh, yeah. we'll see how that goes over the next couple of years. Well, sca-
0: like they're, they're exploring uh, with, um, uh, like you know, non-human participants. Yeah, like if if you can sort of make artificial right. TikTok <laughs> stars, uh, you know, then that's it's so infinitely yeah. scalable as well, so it's, uh, it's crazy. It,
1: absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you so much for your insight on this. This has been really interesting, and I've learned a lot, particularly with the BPO industry and where it's going. Um, for those people that are are interested in learning more about you or Outsource Accelerator, where's the best place to be able to send them?
0: Yeah, thanks, Liam. It's it's been an amazing conversation. Anyone can just go to outsourceaccelerator.com. dot uh, It's it's just a marketplace. It's free for most activities. Um, we list about two and a half thousand BPOs. So just go and check it out. And as well, you know, thank you to Time Doctor, of course, Liam, for the collaboration with the OA five hundred. Uh, we haven't spoken much about that today, but uh, that was. Uh, with with the support of Time Doctor, an 18-month analysis of the world's top 500 outsourcing firms, um, we have devised a objective methodology to rank every single firm globally. Uh, and then, of course, we focus on the top 500. So, all of that is there. Um, that's all within the directory. And, of course, thank you to Time Doctor for that support with that project.
1: Yeah. Yeah, great. So, check out Outsource Accelerator, do check out the OA500. I think it's a really interesting read if anyone is interested in how the BPO industry has evolved. Like, Derek from... Uh, from What's the name of the company again? Number 17. Derek from BPO... Not uh, Lost my train of thought at this point. Thing. Anyways, the... Uh, no, no, he's number 17... It is all right, Bryce, Bryce Maddock from Taskus. Ah, uh, yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. he would not even have been there ten years ago. So there's a lot of movers and shakers in this industry, and if you think that you can't become a billion-dollar brand, um, you are mistaken. You know, we're talking about three thousand companies, two hundred fifty billion dollars in in throughput right like go out and get some of that um in my opinion and there's a lot of people obviously that listen to our podcast that are interested in getting into the space or have already built something and really want to scale it so this was super valuable go check that out and other than that um i will actually see you derek in lisbon at running remote which we're going to be doing end of april hopefully we'll be able to get that out and uh for anyone that's there check us out. I'd love to be able to chat in a deeper way. And I'll see you in Lisbon.
0: That was Liam Martin, the co-founder of Time Doctor and Running Remote. As always, if you're on any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. And if you want to ask us anything, just drop us an email to ask at outsourceaccelerator.com. See you next time.